Well, we are uh, continuing in our series called Built to Last, and uh, if this is your first time with us and you're just joining us today, um, we've been talking about what are the key components, what are the things that you need to build a life that's built to last, and uh, you know, you know th- this, we're kind of looking at this thought in the Bible, you, you hear it and read it and see it all through the Word of God, this principle of building and what it looks like to build. And last week we talked about building on the most important foundation, which is what? Jesus. Jesus is the most important foundation. And and today what we're going to talk about is what does it look like to build on the Word of God? What does it look like to have the right information, the right blueprint, uh, the right plans to begin to build on God's Word? I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse uh, 23. But before we get there, a couple of things. One, I just want to celebrate, and uh, I've, got to, I've got to really rein myself in a little bit when I talk about this, because what I'm about to share with you, I get really passionate about, and I know what you're saying. You're thinking, Pastor Chris, you get passionate about a lot of things. I do. I really do. But when Wendy and I first moved here, uh, we were helping oversee all of our next-gen ministries, and I affectionately called that uh, the ministries from cradle to college. That's a big range of helping families and peoples, and it, peoples, peoples, helping peoples, all the peoples of the world, you know, helping people. <laughs> you ever say something, you're like, did I just say that? Th- that was one of those moments. Helping people just navigate the seasons of life, helping walk with families, right? And... Uh, and so as you do those things, and as you begin to do that, one of the things that we're really passionate about, it's really near and dear to my heart, is our camps and retreats. And we have a retreat coming up called Battle of the Sexes. And uh, Battle of the Sexes, we have two sessions. We have our high school session, and we have our middle school session that'll be coming up. And listen, the truth is, high school is already full. Um, but I know I kind of threw uh, Alex kind of for a curveball there. I said, you know... I know we're full at high school, but if you have a high school student here that hasn't signed up, I don't care. We'll get them in, okay? I want to make sure that your high school student gets in there. We also have middle school students that uh, we have their session coming up, and it's, it really is going to be an amazing time. And I'm just telling you this. How many of you, you have teenagers? You're going, I preach it. Yeah, raise your hand. Raise your hand. You got teenagers. We're praying for you. Lord, we'll put all parents with teenagers on a prayer card. You're going, man, I preach to them. I talk to them. I do everything I can with them. Can I tell you something? And, and listen, I know, I know where you're at. Because some of you, you do that because you were, you were like me. It was like you were crazy back in the day. Let's just be honest, mom and dad. You're crazy. You're like, I'm trying to wrangle my kid in because I don't want to be crazy like I was crazy, okay? And so you're trying and you're trying and you're doing all the things you can. But can I tell you something? Nothing is more impactful and nothing is more powerful. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever than them getting in the presence of God, meeting with Jesus, and having an experience with Him. And I get real passionate about this because I know what it was like in my life when I experienced that once I surrendered my life to God, to the Lord. And for 20 plus years of ministry and working with young people, I know what it does in young people's lives and their hearts. And I'm just telling you, prioritize this. It's transformational. In Judges chapter 2, it talks about a generation of young people didn't know God. They didn't know God. They didn't serve God. And I think that's unique. Not only did they not serve God, they didn't even know God. But there's a reason. Because there was a generation before them that knew God that didn't share. 
that didn't pass it on, that didn't instill it. Let that never be said of me, of Milestone Church, and what we have here and this team of raising up a generation. I love what Chris and the team do in the back on Sunday mornings, what Alex and the team does here on Wednesday nights. It is instilling the foundation in them. And like I said, I could go on and on about this all. That's not even why we're here. We're here. But you want to talk about foundations? Get your young people in a place where they can develop a foundation with Jesus and really grow in their walk with Christ. Okay, so just sign up. We'll, get, we'll find a spot. If there's a high school student, find Alex. If you've got a high school student, you need to get them in. Talk to Alex. They're still sign up for middle school students, so make sure you get, uh, you get them in there. Well, today is, and I mentioned it earlier, it's a special day because it's Sunday and we have church. That's why it's special. But it's also, let's be honest, it's the Super Bowl, okay? And, and I know what I'm about to share with you has no basis on the message whatsoever. It's just fun. Fun facts. Is that okay? Can we have fun in church? Because I see some of you. You come in here. We got Chiefs gear. We've got, I'm glad they're on the same section. We actually have fans. San Francisco. I'm going to have Jeff and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you come and sit up here by Gus, you know, as you got Niners fans, you know, and, and so I was, talking to, I was talking to him earlier, I said, man, I just want to see a good game, he's like, I don't want to see a good game, I just want to see the Chiefs win, <laughs> he's like, I don't care if it's one point, I don't care if it's 50 points, I just want to say, I don't want to see a good game, I want to see him win, so that's, that's a good thought, but you think about Super Bowl, and you think about all the time and the money that goes into it, right, so like, I just saw this, it's the highest uh, uh, rate ever at, at this point, the last time it was this high, it was like 2013, $11 million for 60 seconds. $11 million. I mean, I just like, just seeing that, it just blows my mind. $11 million. But that's not even the stat that gets me. Like, I, I found this, and it's the, the think tank uh, at uh, Workforce for Kronos. Some of you know what Kronos is if you're in the business uh, area. It's, a, it's an HR firm. And so Kronos, they did this. They, they found this study, this statistic. 17 million people will not be at work tomorrow. <laughs> the guacamole was too good. I'm sure that's what it was, right? 17 million. Now, some of those 17 million are real responsible adults. That's some of you in here. 11 million of those 17 they took the day off. So they're, 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 they're business, they're the business, they know what, what, what's coming, okay? I think it's like 4.7 million uh, are, are going to call in sick, okay? It's like one and a half million people, okay, are, are just not going to show up. <laughs> it's like, I'm not, eh, nah, why, you know? I'm just not going. And then there's like 7.9 million are undecided. So we'll see what happens. After the halftime show, maybe they'll make a decision. We'll see. Half of those could go either way. And, and the funny thing is, is you hear that and you're surprised, but you're not surprised. And, and the truth is, that's what I want to talk a, a little bit about today, is you're surprised, but you're not surprised. And, and when you think about how we build our lives, when you think about the Word of God, when you think about what's going on, what happens is as you build, sometimes we build things and you're surprised at what you get, but you're also not surprised. You see, because what you get in the blueprint of your life, it's in the beliefs of the blueprints of your life. What you get and what you establish is right there in your life. And what we have to understand is this word right here, it helps us know how to build. And, and kind of by way of review, again, if you're joining us for the first time, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 is kind of where we started. It was kind of the, 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 the premise on, on the basis, the foundation, if you would, on how we are building to last. And it's a story. Again, here's this principle of Jesus and this aspect of what it takes to build. And Jesus is talking about a wise man. 
And he's saying, there's this wise individual, and, and watch what he does. He's the person who hears these words of mine, and what does he do? He puts them into action. He does them. He does what I told him to do. He does what's been laid out before him, and what begins to happen? He begins to be the guy that's built upon the rock. Then he says, look, there's this other individual who he, he hears these words, but he does not put them into practice. There's this contrast here. Someone who hears and does, and someone who hears and doesn't, this individual, what does he do? He builds on the sand. And in this story, Jesus says, listen, there's a storm that comes. How I many you know if you've lived any amount of life, storms are coming? You're either in a storm, you just came out of a storm, or you're about to go into a storm. Storms are coming when the waves come, <clears throat> when the, the, the winds come, when the situations in life happen, because they're coming. What did you build on? And, and this thought, this, this principle that we've been looking at is this, is that we're all building something. We're all building something. And, and the truth is what we build, it's going to get tested. And as we look at today, what I want us to really dial into and, and zero in on is this, is that even though we're all building something and what you build will be tested, the question is when it's tested, here's what you're going to look at and see. When it's tested, you're going to determine, is it built upon the word of God, or am I building it on something else? Did I, did I build on the word, or did I build it on something else? And when you begin to evaluate those things, when you begin to look at that stuff, when you begin to look and say, okay, how am I building? What is it that you're really building on? Are you building on his word, or is it something else that you may be building on? And, and that's the truth, that, that we all wrestle with that thought. We all, we all come to that place where we feel that. I can remember when we first moved, one of the, the first things that I had an opportunity to do when I came on the, the, the team, we were still at our previous location at uh, 801. We just call it by numbers, right? You have 801, you have 201, right? So 801, and we made this move to 201. And they said, okay, hey, here's this building. And, okay, Chris, Tyron, you got Pastor Tyron, Pastor Chris, you guys are over this building project. Now you have kids. And so there's 25,000 square feet of a kid's area. Here you go. Make it happen. Figure it out. I'm like, well, all right. Now, I had been a part of a couple of different building projects. Tyron hadn't. And so this was like a big learning curve for him and for us as we worked together. And here's the thing that we began to realize. We came in on the project. If you've done any amount of building, we came in on the project. I've, okay, the, the schematic designs have been done. The architect had, put in, uh, had designed all the blueprints and put things together. Everything was in place. All the things were there. And we began began to see as we went through the rooms, they start building stuff, right? And we're looking at the designs before they even start building, not taking notice. We're thinking, we're trusting, okay, everyone's kind of done their thing, right? Well, we get into these rooms, and we start going into this room, and we're like, why is this sound booth so big? Now, I love all our tech guys, and I know they're working on some technical stuff even now. They get a lot of, you know, they always get kind of a little bit of flack when things don't go right, but they work hard, man. There's a lot of technology and all that kind of stuff that, that goes on. And so, but, but tech guys, you know, they need room, right? If, you, if you're any techie in here, you know, you're like, I need a big sound booth. I need a big book, right? So they built this sound booth. Now, a sound booth, to me, I'm like, it'll bitty. You know, you just got a little slider in there, you know, and you just got to move stuff, you know, and Tommy's up here fixing things, and he's real powerful, and I don't know what he's doing back there, but it's like they got all that stuff, right? We go into the kids' building, and in the kids' building, there is a sound booth you can fit a California king in. 
Now, I don't know if you know anything about a California king. That's a real big bed. And the first thing Tyron and I said is, why is this sound booth so big? Like, we need room for kids. We need room for people. We need, and it's so big. And here's what they told us. It's in the plans. Well, so? I mean, can you? And we started realizing we wanted to tear it down, but we realized that it would cost more money to tear it down. But here's what begins to happen. It was in the plans. How many times in life do you feel like, how did I end up here? Why is this here? Why does this look like this? Well, you know what? It was in the plans. It was in the beliefs and the blueprints of your beliefs, and it's in the plans. I say it all the time. If you don't like what you build, you have what you create and what you allow. And if you don't like it, there's something in your belief system that's in the blueprint that all of a sudden they start building it up and you walk in and you're going, why is there this giant sound booth right here? Well, it was in the plans. They're just building what the plan said. And if you're looking at your life and going, I'm not where I wanted to be. These things aren't working out the way that I thought. Then what is the problem? The problem is it was in the plans. It was in the blueprints of the belief system. And so what we want to do is today, over the next few minutes, I want us to begin to look at what are the blueprints of our life that we're building off of. What are the things that we're working on? What are the things that we're evaluating? How is it that we're building? And, and we're going to look at first, first Peter here. And Peter was a disciple of Jesus, okay? And, and that's our heart for you. I mean, that's the heart. If you're coming to 101 today, the goal is, hey, everyone is a disciple. Everyone makes disciples. And, and so, G, so Paul is, I mean, Peter is writing here. And Peter is writing to other disciples. He's writing to a group of people that are in the church, that are learning and that are growing, and they're going through a difficult time. Theologians, some theologians would say this is just after the death of Paul. So there's a lot of, 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 of tension. There's a lot of challenges. It's very difficult. And so they're in this difficult season. And what, what's interesting, and, and I thought about this as we were reading, the, the, the individual who wrote this in Peter, and the words that we're about to read, was, was there with Jesus when he told the story in Matthew 7. He, he was there with Jesus when, when Jesus told the story of building on the rock or building on the sand. And look at what Peter's words say. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Now, what does that mean, born again? There's a story. Some of you know Jesus encounters an individual named Nicodemus. And he tells him, what must I do to enter heaven? He says, you must be born again. He goes, hey, I'm just being transparent, like, like back up in my mother's womb. And he said, no, you're born once of water, but you're born of the Spirit. What, what he's saying, what Jesus was telling Nicodemus was, listen, you're spiritually dead. And when you're born again, you're alive. Your spirit comes alive. Jesus doesn't make bad people good. He makes dead people spiritually alive. Spiritually dead people spiritually alive. And this is what Peter is referencing. You don't have a life that will quickly end. This is one that's going to go on and on and on. There is purpose in here. Well, where does that come from? Your new life will last what? Forever. Why? Because it comes from the eternal living word of God goes on, verse 24, and it says, as the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It remains. It remains forever, and that word is the good news that was preached to you. 
You see, here's what I want us to understand, and, and what I want us to get is this, is that we, none of us want to build on anything that's temporal. We want to build on something that's going to last. We want to build on the things that are actually going to matter. They're going to, they're going to last the course, and we want to make sure that we're building well, and we're building properly. And what Peter is saying is there is this word. This is not just some religion that I joined. This is not just some fan club or country club that I'm like, oh, I feel like being a part of. No, this is a relationship with Jesus rooted in the word of God that transforms who I am from the inside out. And that is the thing that will remain. It's not a fad. It's not fly by night. Okay. It's amazing, you know, even my, my nine-year-old, you know, she came in today, and we're leaving, and we got dressed, and I'm like, baby, you look beautiful, and she had this outfit on, I'm like, flashback to back when I was, like, in high school. It's amazing, you know, if you grew up in the 90s, like, all the, all the kids are just wearing the clothes you wore, you're like, man, I should have held on to that, it saved me a lot of money, you know, it's like, it's not a fad that's going to be in one minute, and then go out, and then come back. This is a life-giving relationship with Jesus that will remain. You see, I'm grateful. I've shared with you before. I shared with you before my life and, and how when I was eight, my parents gave my life to the Lord, gave their life to the Lord. And so I was raised in a godly home, and the word of God was the foundation. Like it was amazing how one day we came home and the next day it was like things that we could watch, we couldn't watch anymore. Places we used to go, we couldn't go anymore. Things we used to say, mom and dad were like, hey, well, we're gonna dial that back because the word of God now became the standard. The Word of God is what dictated what we did and how we acted and how we respond, how we lived our life. And it was interesting because it wasn't just about all the things we could or could not do anymore. It was like our conversations around the dinner table were different. We do things called devotions. I'm like, a devotion? Like, what does that mean, you know, in my nine-year-old brain? Like, we're going to get around and like, and I can remember as a kid. My dad taking out his Bible and reading and, and sharing the truth of God's Word to us. But can I tell you something? I want to do my own thing. And I've shared with you before how in high school I was running as fast as I could the opposite direction. But can I tell you that what began to happen was this. At 19 years old, when I finally surrendered my life to the Lord, all those seeds that God had planted in my heart, all those seeds that my mom and dad had planted in my heart, they began to take root and they began to flourish. And I want to encourage you today, if you're a mom or a dad in here and you've got a child who's far from God and your child is actually an adult, I don't, it, you may be of the wiser generation and you're saying, man, at 45, they still aren't serving Jesus God's promise is this, train up a child in the way they should go. They will not depart from it. It's the seed, it's the word. His word will not return void. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. It's God's promise and it's his principle. And so I'm grateful for that. And, and, and I've shared with you the importance of this word. And how oftentimes what we tend to do is we take this word and we use it almost like a medicine cabinet. I got a headache, so I'm going to pull this out. And I, I got a stomachache, I'm going to pull that. And we, we just kind of pull out the things that we feel we need in the moments of difficulty. And so we think, how do I apply this word to my life? And I've shared with you maybe a different way of seeing it, a different way of looking at it. And it's, no, 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 I need to take my life and I need to apply it to the word. I need to wrap it around the word because my life needs to be molded around what this word says. And I was reminded of, of, of that thought about the, uh, uh, with, with this piece of art. And, and it's this bowl, and, and you look at it. If you know anything about glass, a few years back, we took a family trip. 
and we were in Wimberley, and there's a, there's a glass shop there, and you can go in, and they'll actually, you can watch them blow glass. They, they, all the things that they make there, they make it right there in the background. It's hot, and they got fans blowing, and it was amazing to see how they would take this glass, and they melt it down. It's super hot, and they're sitting, spinning, and turning, and, and they're blowing in it, and I mean, they're making sconces, and they're making lamp, they're making art, they're making images. They're all these different things, and it reminded me of this, this particular piece, because what begins to happen is as they heat up the glass, the glass becomes pliable, It's soft, and it can be molded. And the glass is like our life. God begins to work in our heart and in our life, and and, and sometimes you can feel like, man, I feel like God's turning up the heat in my life, you know, and he is. And and you become pliable and moldable. And what begins to happen is they, at the moment of this glass being moldable and pliable, they take it and they set it on this base. And what begins to happen is it forms right around the base. Now here's the unique thing about this glass is first off, another glass, another uh, individual piece like this isn't going to fit on top of this because it's, it's molded to this base. The other thing is that if things get a little off, it's amazing how I turn it just a little bit. It doesn't fit, does it? But when I take my life and I allow it to be molded and pliable, and that God's Spirit begins to work in my life, then what happens is I can begin to mold it around the base of His Word. You see, the Spirit of God will set you free, but it's the Word of God that will keep you free. I want the Spirit of God, and we want the Spirit of God. I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit next weekend. But... We, we often forget the power of the Word of God in our life. It's the Word of God that anchors us and keeps us in place. So, so how do we do this? How do we build on the Word of God? How, how do we do that? How do we build a foundation on the Word of God? Well, well, first is this. You have to make the Word the ultimate authority. You have to make the Word of God the ultimate authority. You have to view the Word of God as the ultimate authority. It is it. It is the ultimate authority. You view the Bible as your authority. See, you've got to to go, okay, this is right before I read it. Well, I mean, Pastor Chris, I mean, you're saying I just need to come in and not have any kind of thought? No, no, no. No, You need to have a thought. And if you have a thought, you'll come into this. And when you go, I know this word is the ultimate authority. It's right and true. Then what begins to happen is rather than you reading it, it begins to read you. It begins to evaluate your life. It begins to do a work in your life. It begins to show you things in your life. But here's the thing. Here's what becomes difficult. What becomes difficult is this, is that you go, well, I just don't know if if everything in here is true. Maybe there's some discrepancies. But I want you to understand the validity of this word, the power in how this word has been validated. And I encourage you to get into this word. Unpack it. Discover what it says. In fact, many who do, who set out to prove that it's not true, end up discovering that he is who he said he is, and they discover and realize it is true. 
You see, when, when you look at this word, here's the thing. Is I, could go, I could show you all the statistics. I could go round and round and show you all the different things that, that, that validate the cohesive nature of this book that has multiple different authors across an extended period of time. If you look just even in the Old Testament of the prophecies of Jesus that were hundreds of years prior to him and how he fulfilled all of those prophecies. Even to the point of even in an archa, uh, like with archaeology and, and how that has, has even shown just a few years back, the Dead Sea Scrolls, thousands of years later coming up and the cohesive nature of how they line up with this word. It is true. But the power is not found in your exhaustive research on whether or not this is true and valid. The power is not even found in how valid this word is and all the things that line up and show the validity of this word. The power in this word is how much you're willing to allow it to be the authority in your life. You see, there's all sorts of types of text in here. You've got, you have prophecies and, and you have instruction and you have commands and you have directives and, and, and you have psalms and you have songs and you have literature. There's even poetry. There's also, but at the end of the day, is this the authority in your life? You know, I can remember as a, as a, as when I was younger and, and my, we're not there yet with our kids, but when we got to the right age of, of my parents going, okay, well, you don't need a babysitter. We'll leave y'all home alone. I'm like, man, I feel powerful. This is great. Yeah, just me and my three younger brothers. But there was always one question that we always asked, and I always, I always laugh when my youngest brother asked because he was seven years younger. Y'all know, who it, y'all know what the question is because your kids, if you got kids this age, have asked. Who's in charge? You're exactly right. Who's in charge? And of course, my, I'm going, I'm in charge, man. I'm the boss. I'm seven years older than you. And you feel real powerful. You're like, man, you misbehave. I'm going to like spank you or something. I'm going to lock you in a closet. You know, you're locking siblings up, you know. Because at the end of the day, you're going, who's in charge? Can I tell you something? You'll save yourself a lot of questions when you settle in your heart who's in charge. This word is the authority. When, when you come to 101, if you're coming today, if you've heard me say it, and I've, I've said it before, and I say it often, I don't stand over this word and dictate what's in it. I stand under this word. It is the authority over my life. It is what dictates what I do. It is a covering. It is protection. It is the authority. And what begins to happen is it doesn't make it real easy. Because it's not easy to, to live the things that this is saying to live when culture is saying you shouldn't live that way. And it's not easy to not live in a way that culture is saying you should live, but it does make it simple. Why? Because I know this is the authority. This is it. And so you build that foundation on saying, Jesus, your word, God, your word is the authority. But here's the second thing, is you understand the difference between judging and being judgmental. Judging and being judgmental. And, and when you understand that, when you recognize the difference between those two things, I, I think of this, this illustration. Actually, I'm going to go back to this scripture because this scripture is going to kind of set it up. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Not in being judgmental. Not in using this as a club to beat people over the head with. 
It's all God-breathed, so that every servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is God's purpose, that you may be equipped for a good work. Now, I want you to understand, all Scripture, not all blogs, not all commentary or opinions or pontification about what someone may think. Not all books and not all information, but all Scripture is God-breathed. Does it line up to this right here? All Scripture. And, and, and I want to ha- show you, just kind of, this is another just illustration to help you understand the difference when you look at the difference between judging and being judgmental. I'm going to ask Clint and Tommy to help me here. And, and when you think about the Word of God, I think sometimes people push away from the word. They don't really embrace it because they don't understand. What's the difference between judging and being judgmental? See, because we live in a culture right now where everything, they say, well, find your truth. Find your truth. What's your truth? What is your, you know, it's like Chiefs and, and Niners. Well, the Niners' truth is they're the best team in the league. Well, the Chiefs' truth, they're the best. Well, who's right? Here's the thing about if everything is true, then nothing is true. And what happens is when we take the word of God and we push back because we hedge on thinking, oh, well, I'm going to be judgmental if I share God's word. Or, oh, you're being judgmental towards me because you're sharing God's word. Well, no, it's because we don't understand what God's word really is. And oftentimes we think God's word is like a window. Well, I take God's word and I view it. I view through it. To evaluate Clint back there and, and what he's doing. And I'm on the inside and he's on the outside. And I'm doing these things and he's not doing. And I'll, I'll lift the window up. Hey, man, you know, come on in. You, you need to get your life right. Hey, man, you, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. I can't believe. But the word is not a window. It's not something you look through to try and evaluate and bring judgment by being judgmental on other people. The word of God is more like this. The Word of God is a mirror. You see, this Word causes me to look and evaluate, but we don't like when the Word is a mirror. You want to know why? Because what happens when we look in the mirror? Man, when did I gain those pounds? That jacket don't button like it used to. Man, well, I need a haircut. Why, man, looking shaggy. Man, I've... When you begin to take the word and you begin to evaluate and you let the word be a mirror in your own life, you begin to see the things that God's wanting to show you through this word. Not because he's mad at you, not because he doesn't like you, but because he loves you and he wants to help you and he wants to keep you from harm and he wants to set you up to win and succeed. This word is not a window to judge other people It is a mirror to evaluate yourself. In fact, the writer of Hebrews said this. Thank you, guys. I want you to look right here as they're moving that off. The writer of Hebrews said, the word of God. In fact, the first part of this says the word of God is living and active. Living and active. That means it's constantly moving. It's working. It's active in our life. The second part, it says, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So this word judges. That's different than being judgmental. Judgmental means I'm prideful, I'm better than you. Judgmental is, oh, I'm better than you. I'm inside the house, you're outside the house, I'm viewing you through the window, and I'm being judgmental towards you. But when God's word is a mirror, 
it begins to do what? I start really evaluating the attitudes of my heart. You see, God's word begins to show us things in our own life that he's wanting to point out so that we can become who he's always called us and destined us to be. So if you're going to build on that foundation, understand this word is not for you to use as a club to be judgmental towards others. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've walked through that. Maybe you've had family members who've unintentionally possibly done that to you. That's not the goal and the purpose of it. But it is to evaluate because the truth is we all evaluate. We're always evaluating things at all times. And it starts first with us evaluating ourselves. And then here's the last thing. If we're going to build on that foundation, we, we begin to understand that you experience the benefits of receiving the Bible. There's benefits. When, when you experience God's word in your life, when you engage in it, when you, when you react with it, when you're receptive to the truth, there's benefits that you experience. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, and here's what he said, and we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, that means it's spoken, it's given. When you received it, I accept it. I'm listening. I'm hearing and doing. I received it. When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is in, indeed at work in you who believe. You see, even on a Sunday morning when you come and you're hearing me, when you're hearing me preach the word of God, when you're hearing me speak, when you're hearing me share, God's speaking to you and you're not just receiving it, as though it's me, it's not me, it's God speaking to you. That's the unique nature of God. What's amazing is we can walk out these doors and I go, hey, what'd you get from this? And you got one thing, and what'd you get from this? And you got one, why? Because God is specifically working on you about that specific thing. You see, there are benefits that come. Here, here's, here's a few of the benefits. A few of the benefits that you get. It shows us who God is. You can know who God is in your life. The, the, when you read through the Word, I love how when you're starting at the beginning, God didn't create the Garden of Eden as a utilitarian God just to meet our needs. It says that He walked with them in the Garden. So what, the other thing He provided was His presence. And when sin came into the world and that presence was lost, then what began to happen is there was this process of going what are we going to do how do we close this gap between God and his creation well ultimately it came to when Jesus died on the cross and he paid a debt we could not pay and he filled that gap but all along the way Old Testament and New Testament what you constantly hear and see is God constantly going I am with you I am with you I will be with you up to when Jesus then gives the great commission and he gives the great commission we remember that but the end of that verse he says and though i am with you to the end of the day see he constantly want and you can know when you read the word you can know god's with me he's for me Here, here's here's another benefit another benefit is it gives you direction his word is a a light into my my step a light into my feet it's a lamp into my path he will light your next step and he will light the direction that you need to go when you get into the word, God begins to bring clarity and confirmation about things you're praying about, things in directions that you're wanting to go, things that you need to do, and God's word will give us direction. Here's another thing, is it begins to be a source of our faith and confidence. I, I love reading the word, and you want to teach the word of God to your kids. 
I know for us, we teach it in one of the scriptures, 2 Timothy 1, 7, and we're like, hey, God has not given you what? A spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And in my house, because my kids, the age they are, we got little hand movements. So they'll do it with me at night. I'm praying over them. And God has not given you a spirit of fear, but what? And power, love, and a sound mind. And every time. What am I doing? Get that seed in them. And prayerfully, they're not goofy and a little foolish like their daddy was and runs. But they stay. But even if they were to make a foolish decision, nothing's too big for God. And it's only a matter of time before that seed takes root. So you get it in there. And it's not just for your kids. It's for you. How many of you are going, man, I need to know that. I get a little fearful. God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. You get the word in you, and it encourages you. Build your faith and your confidence to know God is with you and he's for you. Here's another thing, is it gives you wisdom for your life. Wisdom. I love the words of James when he prayed. He said, look, any of you who lack wisdom, all you got to do is ask. Solomon, the wisest man in all the world, David's son, God shows up to him. He wrote all of Proverbs, and God says this is before he wrote Proverbs, and this is right before he's, uh, or right as he's becoming king, and, and God says, what do you want? And he said, give me wisdom to lead. You see, you can ask God for wisdom, and when you dive into this word, it's wisdom. God opens it up, opens the, the, your mind and your heart and your spirit, and you begin to gain wisdom by diving in to his word. Here's the last thing that you gain, the last benefit, not the last and only, but I think here's one of the, the final benefits I want to share with you is it, is it helps you fight spiritual battles. If you know Ephesians 6, it talks about the armor of God. Your kids definitely know it because they learn it back there. If they've ever come home with crafts and things like that with the armor, okay, they weren't learning about Roman soldiers. They were learning about Ephesians 6, okay? And there's a lot in there about the armor of God, which is all defensive, but there's one offensive weapon in there. Anyone know what it is? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You can be offensive with this Word, and it helps you in, in times of spiritual warfare and in challenges and, and difficult things. And so I, I know you're going, okay, well now what do you want me to do? Here's what I want you to do. I want to make it real practical because you go, okay, I hear the word. I know I need to read the word. I hear it. All right, Pastor Chris, I got to build a foundation on the word. But there's some practical things and ways in which we want to help you do this. Here's the first thing I'm asking you to do. Give your life to Christ. You may be in here today. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're far from God. There is no other foundation other than him. Can I tell you something? When you read this word, it makes a lot more sense when Jesus is your Lord. And you have a relationship with Him. So make Him your Lord. And you can do that today. Here's the next thing we want you to do. I'm asking you to connect in the growth track. You say, well, what's the growth track? I talked about earlier, next steps. Well, why is that a big deal? How does that help me engage with the Word? Well, when you come to 101, guess what we do? We dive into this. You start, you start hearing and seeing all the Scripture that is the premise and the basis on why we do what we do and how we build but it's not just 101 but then 201 and then 301 and 301 being the environment where you're able to 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 come and discover and dive deeper into God's word have you ever read God's word and go what does that mean how does that apply to my life well 301 is an avenue in which we help you discover how to do that it's why we do those things small groups 
Many of you have small group tonight. We had small groups that started up last week. When you engage in God's word together, it begins to do something in your life. And when you begin to die, but, but we get a little nervous about that. Man, we're going to be in a small group and talk about what we know or what we don't know. It's not a, it's not a competition on knowledge of the word of God. It's, a, it's an opportunity to dive into the word of God and allow it to be, again, a mirror in our life that grows us, shapes us, and transforms us. I, I, I want to encourage you to listen to the, the preached word of God. And not just on Sundays. Yeah, you come in and listen. But when you hear someone preach the word of God, many of you, I mean, you can listen to things online. You need to, li- I do. I listen to the preached word of God. It strengthens me. It encourages me. I get it in my spirit, in my soul. I want to encourage you to do that. And then lastly, I want you to read your Bible. As simple as that sounds, read your Bible. Just read your Bible. Here's what I want to do. Is anyone in here that doesn't have a Bible, I want you to leave with one today. And not only are you going to leave with one today, I want you, there's a book that we're going to give you. We kind of have it as a bundle. You're going to get a Bible, and then you're going to get a book that our lead pastor, Pastor Jeff, wrote to help you kind of understand. And, and some of the team, I was telling them earlier, like, well, man, what if they, what if they like, take 10 Bibles? Well, look, I mean... We're not going to, like, tackle you if you take ten Bibles. I mean, take what you need, okay? All right? Like, what if they steal a Bible? Well, I mean, heaven forbid they steal. Maybe they read it. I don't know, you know? That would be powerful, you know? I don't know. Maybe they'll bring it back. Maybe they'll keep it. I don't know, you know? We want you to get the Word of God in your life. If you have a cousin, a nephew, someone you come in contact with, a parent, get them a Bible. I want, I, we, look, generosity transforms. We're a generous church. You're a generous people. So I want you to get a Bible today. If you don't have one, if you know someone that needs a Bible, get one. Get two. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. We got them to give them. We don't got them to hold on to them. But that's how passionate we are about ensuring that you have the Word of God in you. Because the Spirit of God will set you free, but the Word of God, that'll keep you free. I'm going to pray for you. You may be in here today, and you may be far from God. You don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, but today you can. And so I simply want you, as you're seated there, you just simply say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. I ask you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins, and on the third day you rose again. And you took my sin, my guilt, and my shame, and you make me new. And so I ask, as you come into my life, as I surrender my life to you, I can know today that you are my Father. Jesus, you're my Savior, and heaven is my home. If you prayed that prayer today, we have our ministry team that will be up here after service. They want to pray with you and talk with you, and we'll make sure we get you that Bible and those resources. But for the rest of us, I want to pray for the rest of us, that we would just long for the Word of God. Jesus, I pray that each one of us, we'd be passionate about Your Word. We would long to get in Your Word and discover what Your Word has to say about who we are and how we can walk in victory. I pray, Lord, that we would understand and live our life knowing it is the ultimate authority. We surrender to that fact and and help us understand the difference between judging and being judgmental, that we allow the word not to be a window but a mirror in our own life. And you point those things out to us that we may grow. And you show us those things not because you're mad but because you love us. And I pray, Father, that we would experience the benefits and the blessings of your word 
being living and active in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.